from the classic 1970s TV show, The Partridge Family there, I Think I Love You. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Today our guests are Dean Lim and Caroline Late. Well, Dean Lim is a sex worker activist and 3CR broadcaster and he joins us on the line. Dean, welcome to the show. Hi everyone. Hi James. So great to chat with you, Dean. My God, another lockdown. Uh, Gee, sex workers do it hard during lockdown. We do it hard all the time. <laughs> Look, what are sex workers saying to you about, you know, what they go through during lockdown? I know you're in a peer support group for male sex workers. Yes. Um, so it's a, it's a terrible case of deja vu, uh, which means that it's really a, a sense of exasperation, frustration, and in a sense, it's the, the one bit of silver lining I can see is that it brings our community uh, closer together. So we've had a lot of uh, frantic phone calls, uh, text messages, group chats about, you know, what do we do now? Are we allowed to work? How do we make money? How do we pay our bills? Um, and because we've gone through several lockdowns already, we're kind of a deft hand at this now. Yeah, lockdown six. What was slightly different about this one was just a short notice. Like we had a donut day this week and everyone was thinking, you know, it's pretty rosy. And then yesterday it all happened very quickly. The lockdown was announced and a few hours later it was on. That gives sex workers very little time to kind of, uh, you know, get information, doesn't it? That's right. And that's why as a community, because of the past lockdowns, it has made us uh, much more tightly knit. And so when there is information, it is conveyed uh, much faster within our own private uh, circles. So I imagine for sex workers right now with this lockdown, everything is, you know, just shut down except for online work, yeah? Correct, correct. So tell us about the uh, peer support group that you're involved with. Oh, well, one of the support groups I'm involved with is a group called Working Man. And it consists of male-to-male sex workers, and it's it, that's you know what we're all about. And we have you know online spaces as well as a newsletter where we can share information about the industry and, and what we're going through. Of course, on another matter, there is an independent review into the banking code of practices. Of course, uh, banks are pretty tough on sex workers. What can you tell us, first of all, about your personal experiences as a sex worker with the banks? It's been pretty negligible in that I have tended to avoid uh, opening up a business bank account. So even though I might have a, a personal relationship with you know, certain banks, uh, because I go there, you know, go into a bank uh, frequently to deposit money, uh, and the various bank tellers or bank managers might know me um, by name, they actually don't know what I do for a living. Uh, so I might say to them, I, you know, I, I work in, um, say, the health industry, when in fact the money that I'm depositing comes from sex work. Um, and my, my uh, I guess, reticence to, to out myself as a sex worker is because of the uh, uh, the anecdotal as well as personal stories that I have from friends uh, who are in the sex industry who actually said to me, I have had a bank account, my business bank account closed when uh, the banks have found out that I, I have, I am a sex worker. 
And is that the big banks that are doing that and the little ones? Uh, you know, is yes. it the, so it's yes. the multinationals just as much as, say, your local credit union, say? Absolutely. It, it's across the board. It's not just in Victoria. It's all across uh, Australia. It occurs to every sex worker. So it's not just targeting female sex workers or male sex workers. It's, it's everybody. Um, and it's uh, mainly the uh, the business bank accounts. So with that, you can't have your FPOS facilities attached to that. It, they, you just don't have any of those uh, services. It also applies to financial service uh, institutions as well. So uh, in regards to, say, payment providers. So what do you do? You, you just, you know, left in the lurch. Why do banks do that? I mean, sex work, say, in Victoria, for example, is, is licensed. Uh, I know that there's a need for decriminalisation, but people are operating completely lawfully under the licensing system. How can the banks possibly justify closing down someone's account for, for lawful business activity? Good question. It, they mainly do it through um, being very risk-adverse. So they don't actually give a very clear... Uh, reason as to why banks uh, close accounts. What I've heard and what has been uh, told to me when I've actually had personal conversations with uh, bank staff um, about this matter is that the banks are extremely risk adverse. They don't want to deal with anything to do with sex and the sex uh, industry in general. They're happy to take money from, say, other uh, industries such as, you know, uh, the gambling industry, liquor industry, uh, any any of those sort of industries that are also legal, and yet anything to do with sex, they they really really are very very shy. Even people who, for example, work for adult uh, uh, adult sex shops, that's also part of the sex industry. And you know, I've heard very negative um, experiences of people who actually work uh, behind the counter of the sex shop. I mean, it's just so insulting on so many levels, isn't it? Especially this, you know, risk aversity, considering the risk really is with the sex worker and considering, you know, all the horror stories that have emerged in recent years about, you know, the banks, uh, you know, and, and just people losing so much money, you know. Uh, it's, mm. it's kind of, it's, it's like a bit rich. Well, it's, it's insane. Um... I'll give you an example. The Australian Institute of Criminology they actually had a 2013 report and it looked at money laundering. And so when we're talking about money laundering, we think, you know, okay, it must be something really dodgy that happens in the underworld. Um, it, you know, must be, uh, you know, bikey gangs. It must be, you know, mafia-related. It could be sex industry-related. James, what do you think would be the professions that would be... Uh, prime examples of money laundering. Well, it's probably big white collar multinationals, isn't it? Mm. So actually, lawyers, accountants, real estate agents—they they were identified as key industries that uh, participated in money laundering. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. And, and sex workers in the sex industry hardly featured in that report. So it just it doesn't make sense to me. And you'd think even if we had full decriminalisation in Victoria, that because this is based on such, you know, um, 
outdated and inaccurate negative stereotypes that even though we may get decriminalisation, which I'll ask you about in a moment, uh, that still might not be enough for the banks to change their ways? Well, it's a small step. Um, Decriminalisation certainly is um, what we want and it will certainly uh, change you know, the landscape for all of us to to be treated as uh, a business, to be treated as you know, sole operators. Um, so I see myself as a, as a sole business um, trader. It, it's a start. It's a start. We have to change, you know, other laws as well. It's a start. Um, the, the key thing for having decrim is for sex workers to be identified as sole business operators. That's the start. The next step is to um, open up business bank accounts without impunity. The next trickle-down effect is we are more than happy to pay taxes. We are more than happy to engage accountants and CPAs to uh, help us organise our, our business banking and our business finances and our, all our portfolios that we'd love to have. And it, it's just a win-win situation for society at large. And they're all great arguments as to why the Liberal Party should be embracing law reform for sex workers if they're supportive of small businesses like they claim they are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because if it's it's a legal business and it's making money, it's a business between consenting adults, I don't see any any issue there. And again, you know, we are uh, helping the economy in general. Just considering all of that, as a, as a sex worker, you must be delighted that the Andrews government has said that they will uh, introduce a bill to decriminalise sex work in Victoria by the end of this year. We haven't heard anything from the opposition on this issue. Uh, what's your response to that? I, I can't wait. I think it's going to be very positive. I'm extremely hopeful that we will have a really good outcome, especially um, as it's a, a Labor government. Um, Fiona Patton is behind the review. She's put in you know, the, her, her findings. Um, I, I think we'll, we'll actually have a very positive outcome. So I'm, I'm very hopeful. And I guess you could argue that the Liberals are kind of irrelevant on this issue if the Greens and Fiona Patton are backing it in the upper house. Yes, exactly. But, you know, wait and see. We'll, we'll wait and see what kind of shenanigans that they'll, they'll muster up. Yes. Uh, you know, scare campaigns in the Murdoch media, for example. Yes, the, the usual. Dean, you do a fabulously successful uh, radio program here on 3CR about sex work issues called Behind Closed Doors, uh, Thursday, 6pm. Uh were you surprised at the huge reaction it's got, the very positive reaction it's got, and how has the show impacted on you personally? I think it's just made me more proud, and the, and the people I work with in the show, we, we work as a team and we're proud of who we are, and it's about destigmatizing who we are as sex workers, uh, putting on a human face to say, look, you know, we're just regular folks going about our business, uh, and here we are. Absolutely. And what I found really beautiful about the show is there's been kind of this, you know, impassioned political emergence that I've seen and heard with you and also with Kitty and Sassy who do the show. Uh, What do Kitty and Sassy say to you about the impacts of the show that they've experienced? Well, yeah, and and you made a good point. I mean, um, Kitty and Sasha have both been really proud and they've both actually, you know, um, really... uh, we're all pushed to all of each other 
to uh, be more outspoken and stand up for our rights and to be proud of who we are, but also just to um, showcase and support others in the community. So we have a lot of uh, personal stories. We uh, invite uh, guest speakers onto our show every week. So it's whether people work in the industry or their allies, supporters. It's about raising a voice or giving a voice to people who you may not usually hear in mainstream media. And that's why you know, shows like yourself, uh, James, and all the other shows on, on 3CR, which are so vitally, vitally important. Of course, that independent review into the Banking Code of Practice submissions closed today. What can you tell us about the timeline, etc., for the review? Well, it's exciting that it's being conducted um, by an independent reviewer, um, Mike Callaghan, and we know what will happen next is that this review happens every three years. So this has been a, uh, a historic, momentous time for us to actually put a review in, but I put a submission. Um, so I've definitely written a submission, and uh, uh, Mike is uh, due to complete his final report by the 30th of November of this year. So we'll wait uh, and see what what happens there. Um, but I, I'm again hopeful that uh, a lot of uh, our suggestions will be um, uh, put forward. Fantastic. Dean Lim, always great to chat. Thanks so much for joining me today on In Your Face. Great. Thanks, James. And I just want to give a big shout-out to Sex Work Law Reform Victoria for all the help um, in helping me with this submission and all that great information on their website. Fantastic. Uh, thanks so much. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Dean Lim there. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James, and here's Wendy Matthews.
Cyrus there. You're on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Well, Caroline Late is a journalist, filmmaker and former elite athlete, and she joins us on the line. Caroline, welcome to the show. Oh, good day, James. 
So Thanks for having me. It's always great to have you on board, Caroline. I absolutely love chatting with you on the show. Wow, the Olympics. Uh, you've got a lot to say as a sports journalist. Let's start with Laurel Hubbard. What are your thoughts on the controversy surrounding her uh, representation of New Zealand in the weightlifting and how it unfolded in the competition? Yeah, look, it's a bit of a storm in the teacup, I think. Um like the way people make out that she has this huge advantage and um, really she doesn't um, and she's followed the Harry Benjamin guidelines or the not the sorry not the Harry Benjamin guidelines but the IOC consensus uh, with the IOC and that was 2003 and uh, so she's followed those um, those uh, guidelines and she's competed and she's followed all the rules so um, and as we saw she. Um, didn't lift in three lifts and she was out of the competition. So, um, yeah, I don't think she has an advantage and she um, was under a lot of pressure and uh, and that probably would have affected her performance as well. But even considering that, she clearly showed that she didn't have an advantage because she, you know, yeah. she didn't rate highly at all. Uh, and it's kind of, you know, blowing the critics out of the water really about, about trans women, hasn't it, in sport? Well, now they're saying she lifts like a girl. So <laughs> so you can't win. You know, she lifts like a girl and then, you know, but this is this is how I see it. It's, um, it's bias and bigotry and discrimination dressed up as... So basically what they say is, you know, they, they, they say that it's an um, advantage, but really what they're hiding is their bias and their bigotry because what they're, what they're really saying is we don't see you as a woman. Women are, are not as powerful as men. Therefore, you know, you women can't beat men, so there's your advantage. That's, that's how it's dressed up, but they disguise it because they can't come out and say those sort of things anymore. So now they're, they're questioning that it's, it's an advantage. So that's what they use, and it's a smokescreen for really their bias and their bigotry against trans women. And very misogynist as well. I mean, she lifts like a girl. I mean, first of all, she's yeah. a woman. But secondly, it's like, well, you know, is, is that an insult? Like, clearly it's meant to be. It's just, as you say, you know, she can't win. And it really, it really shows the transphobia that, that trans women athletes have to deal with. Oh, definitely. And, and as, as um, Kirsty Miller, our friend Kirsty Miller says, another trans woman, um, these men and these misogynists, they see all women as being like the libra- librarian scenario. So how I'll explain that is that um, they're looking at all women like, look like, you know, aren't sports women to start with and simply all women are weaker than all men, you know, and that's how they look at it and that's how they view it. So, and that's what, that's what causes, um, so that, that's how they look at it. And then they discount the fact that there's a lot of athletes that are really trained really hard for so many years to be really good athletes and they discount all that. And really, it's it, it, you'd have to think it would come back to their insecurities of, and their, their own insecurities about their own masculinity. What are Turfs saying about Laurel Hubbard's performance? Post post lifts. Yeah, well, the the turfs are, are always there, and and pretty much they, you know, they're always you know front and center. And to be honest, I haven't really engaged with the turfs lately because they really, um, I just find um, they're just really negative. And doesn't matter what you say, they'll always have a um, a, a voice that's 
different to yours because they they have got a set agenda. So um, two plus two could equal three, and you know it, we know it's wrong, but they'll still say that's right if that's what they they're trying to look for um, in, in in having an answer. So so I really haven't um, engaged with the turfs at all. Um, because I just find it's it's really you're on a hiding to nothing with them. But I've noticed in the press and things like that, there was a lot of lot of press about um, Laurel, and there was a lot of debate about her having this advantage. And I, I knew I knew that she was not going to win. And I did an interview with um, 1170 SEN Katie Brown up here uh, a few weeks ago, and said she's not going to win because you know she's androgen deficient. So she is not going to win because she doesn't have any testosterone in her body. She's not naturally producing it. And us trans women who've been, um, who've been like um, transition and, and, and been, say, 20 years or, or I don't think Laurel's as long as me, but probably 10 years, maybe 15, our bodies start to go into a androgen deficient state. So therefore we have to start taking um, uh, testosterone to boost our testosterone levels, and I'm at two nanomoles. I don't know if she can get a, a therapeutic use exemption, so I'm, I don't think she can. So she'd be even more um, androgen deficient than I probably would be. I was at 0.4 before I could use. Um, uh, I used Androfem to boost my levels, and I'm still only at two nanomoles, which is really low. So what you're saying is her testosterone levels would be lower than the cis women that she was competing against. Hundred percent, absolutely. She's she's so low that and uh, like that's why she um she I think her elbow she she dislocated her elbow. And I think I'm not sure if there's a broken bone from the Commonwealth Games, but she she had a, a, a quite a uh, severe injury at the Commonwealth Games, and so then once again she's dead. She's she's not been able to lift. And look, that's fantastic, a great achievement. She's got to this level and been able to compete at the Commonwealth Games, Olympic Games, but um, she hasn't you know, gone anywhere because her body's in an androgen deficient state. So yes, she's she's got less than most um, cisgender women will will ha- would have. Of course, we've seen so many out queer athletes competing at these games. Uh, I can't, I've lost track of the number exactly. Uh, it's almost as if, you know, identity has transcended nationalism when it comes to queer competitors. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Like um, we were talking about um, Raven Saunders, you know, and the she's um, her protest on the podium, and like the solidarity. And there's so so many people out there now. And even I was reading about Harry Garside in the Sydney Morning Herald, and he just won a boxing bronze medal. Um, just he lost the lost his semi final, but he still gets a bronze medal. Uh, that was just on. Uh, half an hour ago and he's come out and said well you know I want to paint my nails and wear a dress to the and he does ballet you know and that's that's one of our boxers I mean who's going to have a go at him I mean he's a boxer <laughs> you know so there's so many people out there now and I think it's because the young ones are coming through and they just don't really care you know they 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 um they've been brought up differently to um us old fuddy-duddies so they're just um really with the times and I can see that as time goes on we're going to um, have a more inclusive Olympics over the years. So 2024 will be better than 2028. And who knows, by Brisbane, you know, and uh, we'll have another Pride House up there uh, like we did it for the Commonwealth Games. So, you know, and it's just really um, so good to see these young ones coming through and really um, 
making statements and saying, well, this is who I am and I'm not going to be quiet about it. And I think a lot of queer people, regardless of their nationality, were cheering on the queer athletes, sometimes when they were competing against people from the country that they're from. 100%. I mean, if if you've got someone like um, Raven Saunders competing and they're winning a, a, a silver medal and they're competing against other people who aren't, yeah, of course you're going to identify with those people and you're going to want to see them do really well and, and win or get onto the podium. And um, it's just fantastic, you know, that... Um, people are coming through, like even Harry Garfield. I was like, oh, I'm even more of a fan now. You know, when he when he said all that about um, his nails and he's wearing a dress. I'm um, a bomber who's a DSD athlete. I was cheering her on. Like, um, that's a different difference in sexual development. So she's like Casta Semenya. I was cheering her on. You know, and then you've got all these other LGBT um, IQ athletes that you really, really want to see do well because they're not the norm. And um, and then also if they're competing against someone who's um, a known, uh, say, I don't know, I don't know how many athletes now are out about being, um, what's the word, homophobic or transphobic, because it's probably not the in thing these days. But you know, it would make you cheer for those people because you can identify with those people and you want to see them do well. So definitely. I'm glad you mentioned Raven Saunders because, of course, she gave such a fabulous performance in the shot put, won the, won the silver medal. Of course, you are a shot putter yourself. Yes. Uh, so you must have been really, really thrilled. But, of course, she, she did. When she got up on the podium, she did the X symbol, you know, in Absolutely. solidarity. And she said it was, you know, a gesture of inclusiveness about all the intersections that there are out there. Of course, the IOC is investigating it to, uh, to you know, ascertain whether or not it was a protest and potentially take sanctions out against her. The uh, US Olympic Committee and Paralympic Committee uh, is supporting her. Uh, the IOC has suspended its investigation because her mother died, you know, within, I think, 24 hours or close to that of her, of her winning that medal. But what are your thoughts on, on the IOC investigation? Were they singling her out because she was so flaming, as she said, so flamboyant? Like, was there a touch of homophobia and a bit of a backlash and they want to make an example of her? Well, the IOC has a history of homophobia, transphobia, um, and phobia against DSD athletes, like um, difference of sexual development, like Mabomba, Casa Semenya. So they've got a history of being um, phobic. They've got Sebastian Coe and, and people like Thames and Lewis, who I called out on the broadcast, and she has apologised to me and said she would be better. Uh, privately, she, she told me that. Um, so they have a history of it. Whereas I think the national bodies now are saying, well, IOC, you know... Um, you can, <laughs> I don't want to swear, <laughs> but, you know, too bad. We're not, we're not, um, I was going to say get stuffed, you know, to the IOC from the national governing bodies, just like the national governing, governing bodies in, in rugby did to the world rugby ban on trans women. So you now you're seeing these sporting bodies are fighting back and saying, well, no, she hasn't got anything to answer for because she is supporting people that are oppressed, have been oppressed in their life. And I think that's fantastic. You know, and and to put into um, her, her, her to magnify her achievement, she beat Valerie Adams, who's a three, two or three time Olympic gold medalist. You know, from New Zealand, who was got the bronze. So, you know, she's she's um, yeah, it's just fantastic. And now here I'm looking at diving now. I was on diving's on at the moment, and there's a, there's a fellow there knitting. So look how far we've come. You know, uh, so the, I think the IOC has just got a. Sebastian Coe, who used to be a hero of mine, by the way, because I used to be a really good 400 runner back in the day at school. And um, 
I wanted to go up to the 800, but I didn't have the endurance, but I used to love him. And then he's so homophobic and transphobic, I just can't stand him now. Um, and I love Steve Ovette, who was his major competitor back in the day. I love Steve Ovette now because he's a good guy. And just these people, they, they really need to be moved on. And we Like Arthur Tunstall. Arthur Tunstall used to have a go at Cathy Freeman for the Indigenous flag. And you now look at the Indigenous flag and, you know, Paddy Mills and Cathy Freeman and, you know, all these... Indigenous athletes are everywhere. What's Arthur Tunstall? He's a footnote in history, <laughs> you know. So I think we just need to move these people on eventually. And, um, you know, I'm sure the skateboarders and the BMX riders and all these young ones really couldn't care less what your gender identity or sexual orientation is. And you'll find that come through as they, as they these kids become older. And then in 30, 40 years' time, they're going to be running the Olympics and it'll be totally different um, different scenario and it'll be so much more we'll hopefully have the inclusion games much like the commonwealth games is now you mentioned athletes with intersex variations such as Carter yes. semenya uh they've basically been shafted from these games correct well that's that's right and um Carter semenya got shafted um Mabomba did win a 200 that and that's where i had a go at um Thames and lewis because she's come out and she said Oh, how does um, Gabrielle, I'm trying to think of her name. I did write it down here. I'm just looking for it. But anyway, she's had a go at her saying, oh, how does how does one of the other finalists feel about her breaking the world under 20 or world junior 200-metre world record? And, and that's when I had a go at Tams and I got stuck into her on Twitter. And she did apologise to me and said she'd try to be nicer. And, um, you know, so that's, that's basically, um, you know, I think with and with Casta, she's just been totally shafted. But with Mabomba, they're try, she said they're going to try to now get rid of her out of the 200 and probably the 100, so I won't be able to compete at all. But the industry, my interesting point is, Casta got shafted, and the one the the athlete that won the um, and I think her name's Moo. Um, her surname's Moo, and I can't quite remember her first name. I did have it written down here, but I can't see it. Um, yeah, she she was one one hundredth of a second faster than Casta Semenya's winning time in Rio. So it was, uh, I think it was 155.22, the Casta one, and Mu won in 155.21. And yet there's no sanctions against Mu or this or that. Um, and that's, I just find that um, laughable. So, you know, just because she doesn't fit their ideal of what a, um, a woman is, and that's usually white, um, feminine, pretty, you know, not not that Casta's not pretty because she's beautiful, but she's just different, you know, and that's, that's my take on, um, you know, where this needs to change and we really need to call out this because um, Casta, if Casta had been in that race, it would have been a fantastic final. We are talking to sports journalist, filmmaker and former elite athlete Caroline Lake. Caroline, on a different matter, uh, last time we chatted, of course, we discussed your documentaries, this Queensland in the 20s about the Rainbow Beach Stairs controversy. Of course, yep. uh, the documentary has been nailing it at film festivals around the world. First of all, just give us an update about what happened to the Rainbow Beach Stairs and a further update about what the latest is. I understand there's been more controversy since you made your doco. Yeah, there again, <laughs> proceeding it. And, um, you know, and the council hasn't done anything and, and, and um, the Team Rainbow's put in complaints and this and that and um, the local council um, uh, don't want to know about it, as in um, Gympie Regional Council. So it's it's still um, ongoing and the police, he's put complaints into the police and it's not their matter. So I think it's being shuffled around the departments. 
Caroline, um, your your documentary, oh God, last time I checked, I think you won an award at the Swedish Documentary yes, Film Festival. Yes, Can you tell yes. us about, about, you know, just the just the huge acclaim it's been getting? Yeah, it's been really good. Um and it was shown online at their um their their uh, virtual film festival with us all in lockdown. So um and then Tokyo at one at Tokyo International Short Film Festival. It's done really well. I'm actually a bit surprised because the film festivals that it hasn't done well in are the queer ones. Um it did it was a finalist in the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. But um I, I don't know. I think cuz it's not light and fluffy. I think it, I don't know whether it's the controversial or or it's not quite, you know, what they because like, I think they, they like the light and fluffy stuff, you know, like celebrating it, uh, uh, where people are excelling and things like that, which is understandable, I get it. But, uh, but these other film festivals have done really well. So um, no, that's caught me quite by surprise. So, <laughs> but yeah, the Swedish International Film Festival and the Tokyo Film Festival has done really well. At, um, many others, um, Vancouver Short Film Festival. So internationally, it's done really well, and um, it's 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 um, won some awards and been selected for many film festivals. So it's been great. So hopefully, um, we can continue on with the success. Can continue on with the success with it. There's a few more film festivals yet to go that it's entered into. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on the doco, Caroline, and thank you so much for joining me today on 3CR. It's always great to chat with you on In Your Face. Thank you for having me, James. A pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Caroline Late, there you are on In Your Face on 3CR with James, and here's Cindy Lauper. I said I would 
In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.